Well, I am thankful to be here with all of you tonight and to hear from God's word together. So let us pray. Lord God, you spoke out over the waters. You spoke out over the void. You spoke to your people, Israel. You spoke to us in your son, Jesus Christ. You spoke to the nations on the day of Pentecost. Lord, we pray now that as we hear your word, that you would again speak to us, and by your spirit, we would become your people. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Our scripture for tonight comes from the 12th chapter of Luke's gospel, starting in verse 29. And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. With one final step, you emerge out of an underground world. As your eyes adjust to the light, you are taken beyond a place of musty odors, carelessly discarded food wrappers, the sounds of wheels screeching to a grinding halt and feet running hurriedly to catch closing doors. But before you have time to breathe a sigh of relief, your senses are immediately bombarded. Flashing lights, the smell of hot dogs and hot chestnuts, people who are swarming like bees or apparently paralyzed. You look up and see a billboard you imagine to be the size of a small town in Nebraska. You turn around and see a steaming cup of noodles that could fill an Olympic-sized pool. All the evidence confirms the fact that you, my friend, are in Times Square in New York City. As I think about our text for this evening, I cannot get the image of Times Square out of my head. And this image comes to my mind not because I see an obvious connection between first century Palestine and a major world city, but because I think Times Square is one of the most anxious places on earth. At least, that's the feeling I get every time I go there. And when Jesus talks about this striving and worrying, I immediately picture the plethora of advertising and consumption that happens in Times Square 24 hours a day. Times Square, with its billboards and lights, urges millions to buy, buy, buy. And as we are constantly encouraged to consume, anxiety is not only created, it is fed. Life seems dull 
and, frankly, incomplete without the shiny gadgets and designer handbags we are pressured to accumulate. Now imagine for a minute Jesus standing on a street corner in Times Square speaking the words we heard from Luke's gospel. Could we even hear his call to sell our possessions and give to the poor? In the midst of a consumption capital, would Jesus' words seem either out of touch or a nice but, frankly, impossible idea? What if we bring this vision closer to home and see Jesus standing in front of the U Village Starbucks or right down the street on the Ave? Wherever we are, hearing Jesus' words is not easy because we live in a time of great anxiety. Santa and his reindeer pop up in storefront windows before we can even digest our Halloween candy. In the midst of trying economic times, we wake up each morning to hear that our carefully planned retirement continues to diminish. Our student loans aren't going as far as they used to. And turning on the news is just an exercise in disappointment. We wonder, will we ever get out of this mess? So giving thanks this year is no simple task. In fact, giving thanks is something the Christmas marketers would have us bypass altogether. Madison Avenue only bolsters our feelings of anxiety by encouraging our penchant for the ever-popular retail therapy. The contemporary milieu of anxiety, how do we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, give thanks? In our text for tonight, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And during the journey, he tells his disciples about his imminent death and resurrection. He rebukes the religious establishment of the day, and he offers a challenging vision of life for those who would follow him. And this vision of life includes a warning against the accumulation of goods, a warning that comes through the parable of the rich fool, which is right before the text we heard tonight. And in this parable, one man works to ensure his material security by filling his newly built barns with stuff. And ultimately, his efforts are deemed futile in the eyes of God. And to really drive the point of this parable home, Jesus engages in the explicit teaching we heard tonight in Luke's Gospel. Unlike the rich fool of the parable, Jesus' disciples are not to strive for an overabundance of possessions. Persistent worrying is a practice Jesus implores his disciples to avoid. While the nations of the world make it their business to anxiously chase After possession after possession, Jesus' disciples are urged to make it their business to trust and seek the kingdom of God. To trust and seek the kingdom of God. But isn't it easier to join in with the nations? Isn't it easier to join in with the crowds at the mall? Isn't it easier to control our own security through our individual effort? 
What does it even mean to seek God's kingdom in the midst of our fast-paced world? I think if we're honest, we have to admit we'd rather keep up with the rat race at school, at work, at home, in our neighborhoods. And even here at church, we'd rather keep up with that race than risk pulling out of it. Last week, Verizon Wireless released the BlackBerry Storm, and thousands, thousands lined up to get their hands on the newest device that promised to keep them connected and organized in ways that they could never have imagined. So as I stood in line with many other bleary-eyed folks at 7 a.m., I anticipated all the potential life improvement the storm would offer me. You know, not once did I think about striving after God's kingdom. Oh, I thought about striving in front of the people that were ahead of me in line. I thought about that. You know, getting myself organized and connected were my top priority because I knew what I needed. Yet here in this text from Luke, Jesus reminds us that the Father knows what we need. As savvy citizens of the 21st century, we would like to think we know exactly what we need, which most of the time is what everybody around us has. Jesus, however, tells us the Father knows what we need, and what we need is defined by the reality of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is often thought of something beyond the present time. It's relegated to the realm of Someday. But we must remember that Jesus initiated the inbreaking of God's kingdom on earth. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus proclaimed the reign of love and grace, the reign of community and hospitality, the reign of forgiveness and sacrifice. Jesus declared the kingdom of anxiety and fear and endless acquisition is overthrown by the kingdom of God. So when Jesus enjoins us to strive for God's kingdom, he is entreating us to abandon our allegiance to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer so aptly calls the thraldom of material things. The clothes, the shoes, the newest iPods, cell phones, the best cars, the latest technology, we get so transfixed by these things by this pursuit of stuff. And this pursuit points only to a deeper issue, which is our loyalty to the kingdom of anxiety. Jesus invites us to cease living under the rule of anxiety and fear and to begin living under the reign of God. And we can live under the reign of God or in the pursuit of God's kingdom, not because we're especially holy or good or strong, but because the Father has been pleased to give us the kingdom. God's desire for us to know and experience the freedom of life in God's kingdom is not a divine hallmark card of warm wishes. Jesus declares the Father is determined, determined to give us the kingdom we can trust and believe that God is passionately resolved to impart the kingdom to us. 
And once we are equipped with this knowledge, Jesus moves us even further to see that the anxiety-driven pursuit of what the world deems worthy can no longer characterize our actions. In response to God's gracious gift, we turn 180 degrees. Rather than constant getting, we are to engage in giving. And the giving we do isn't the relinquishing of whatever's left over. No, it's the giving of what is most precious to us. Our very possessions. What we have in our driveways and in our homes is no longer fundamentally important to us. And there's no need to sit around stockpiling out of fear because fear is ousted by God's transformative love, peace, joy, hope, and forgiveness. Our eyes no longer scan the horizon looking for what we can get next or what we don't have. Instead, we look at God's provision, we look at our world, and we see that, and our gratitude propels us to love God, to love our neighbor. Does it sound impossible? Does it sound idealistic? Can we seek God's kingdom? Do we know God is passionately resolved to give us the kingdom? Well, we might not have all the answers tonight, this year in 2008, but I do know that as we grow in our ability to trust and seek, we can return to this table, the true table of thanksgiving where Christ is present. Here we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We remember that those things, that death, that resurrection, breaks through the thraldom of fear and anxiety. Here, Christ meets us. Here, we are transformed to go out and to live lives of joyful giving.